This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Brian Edwards. Hey, Jordan. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So we'll, uh, let me just refresh everybody's mind. First and foremost, Brian Edwards, no relation to me, Jordan Edwards, at least no relation that we're aware of, uh, just a common name. Uh, and Brian, second time back on the podcast, really excited to have you back. We had a great discussion, uh, you know, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, you are in the insurance business. You're a multi-time master's world champion, Pan-American champion, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You, uh, it's your, your academy, right, Swamp Fox? You're one of the owners? Yes. I actually, strange uh, update here. I just sold Swamp Fox about two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I sold Swamp Fox to uh, my longtime academy manager and really good friend, Spencer Selman. And so since I uh, took on this new venture that we'll probably talk a little bit about today, yeah. I figured it'd be a good time to, uh, to, to do that. And the timing was perfect. Excellent. You're also a graduate, graduate of the Citadel, if I, don't, uh, if I recall correctly. That is correct. And you are jujitsu dad on Instagram and uh, you have a beautiful family. All girls. <laughs> That's correct. Every one of them. I live with six females. <laughs> all girls. And uh, I love watching all of their exploits, athletic exploits all over social media. You've got gymnasts and, and athletes of all kinds. And it's, uh, it's really good to have you back on the podcast. Well, thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it, buddy. It's good to be back. I really, I've been enjoying following you and keeping up with business jujitsu. And uh, I'm honored to be back. Yeah, good. Well, before we get uh, off on today's special subject, which is estate planning and life insurance, something that you're an expert in, uh, maybe you could just give us a little bit of update on where you are, where your business is. We just heard you sold Swamp Fox, so I'd love to hear more about that. And uh, tell us about what you've been uh, had going on since we spoke to you last. Sure. So I've been a, uh, an agent with State Farm for a little over 20 years now, and my legacy office is in Dillon, South Carolina about an hour west of Myrtle Beach, right on I-95, and uh, was presented the opportunity this fall to take on a second agency in uh, Mullen, South Carolina, which is a small town about 30 minutes uh, further east of Dillon, just a little bit closer to the coast. And uh, opportunity presented itself, jumped all over it. It was a great opportunity. And so I'm uh, running two State Farm agencies now. Um, have 10 staff members between the two agencies. And just perfect timing came along with the opportunity to sell Swamp Fox. Uh, Spencer Selman, like I'd mentioned, my academy manager, has been with me for seven or eight years. And we had been working together to try to get that um, proposition worked out and for him to come in as the buyer. And the timing just couldn't have been better as I took over the second agency. And so he's jumped in there head first and uh, is doing a wonderful job with the academy right away. Still going to be training there as long as they'll have me. Um, still the, uh, the ranking black belt there. But um, uh, right now, it's probably the best that I'm not trying to run all three of the businesses. Uh, just because I'm a place. That's fantastic. So you launched a, a successful business, and now you've sold it, and you're still going to be there as a, a member to shepherd it. That's that's pretty great. And what about uh, your competition career? I've seen you know your exploits. Uh, you're still actively competing? Absolutely. Uh, was the last competition I went to was um, the European Nogi in Rome and then the uh, Rome Open in Gi, 
which was awesome. Had a great time at that tournament and then haven't done anything since then. That was in November. And so I've been kind of concentrating on the business and the family since then. But just signed up for Tampa IBJJF here at the end of February. And then, of course, Pan Ams in Orlando in the end of March. So I um, went ahead and went ahead and threw it out there. So I'd have to start training, uh, keep, keep my weight on um, on check. How do you stay in such good shape? You are in phenomenal, phenomenal condition. I mean, you look like a professional athlete. What, what do you what do you do? Well, this must be a trick camera or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, honestly, Jordan, I, I think the biggest thing is, is just really trying to dial in my diet. I'm not able to work out nearly as much as I used to, um, just with busyness and, and with the family and the time with my girls. And so, um, I try to, I eat extremely meticulously, probably a little bit overboard. If you asked my family, they would tell you that. Um, but then again, just most of the time, if I'm able to work out, I do it before the crack of dawn. I usually go to the gym, you know, get up around four o'clock, go to the gym by five o'clock and then out of there by six o'clock on most mornings. And then with jujitsu, it's just whenever I can fit it in. Um, sometimes we'll do open mats early, early in the morning, training at night, training on the weekends. And so my schedule is never, never set. It's very irregular. <laughs> what kind of responsibilities do you have growing the businesses now? Are you on the road? Are you in the office? Are you client driven? Are you managing a sales team? Like what seems to be taking up the most of your time? Well, you know, a few months ago, I, was, I would tell you, I was kind of slowing down a little bit, you know, about to hit 50 years old and uh, maybe would uh, look at, um, you know, probably take a little bit more recreational time. And then the opportunity came for this second business. And so I've been busier in the last four or five months than I have in 20 years. And I'm wow. really enjoying it. It's been a blast. It's given me a new excitement. Um, you know, I go, I go to bed excited. I wake up excited. And so the challenge has really, uh, given me a new kick in my step or a hop in my step. And, and I, I really am not nearly as engaged in the day in day out meeting with clients as I was in the past. I've got a wonderful team of 10 team members and I would be in deep trouble if it wasn't for them. Um, and so they do 99% of the client facing work. I do meet with clients on occasion, um, mm -hmm. especially larger cases and more complicated cases. Uh, but right now it's mainly just managing the business, managing the team um, and doing a lot of different things with our marketing and advertising now. Hmm. What kind what kind of things in marketing and advertising? Well, you know, you know, so much in the insurance business in the old antiquated ways was, you know, direct mail uh, mailers. And you did a lot of outdoor advertising with billboards and radio and TV. And that, that has changed drastically and for everyone, not just for mm -hmm. insurance and financial services, but for everyone. And so really trying to understand what goes on behind the scenes with SEO, with, um, you know, with Instagram, with Facebook, all different types of social media advertising, where the best bang for your buck is how to maximize those dollars with the, the algorithms and everything that has been, eye-opening to say the least for me uh, here in the, and and to think that i probably could have um spent my dollars a lot more effectively in the last several <laughs> years if i would have educated myself on it a little bit earlier yeah well it's interesting because you know if i would have thought of state farm you know you're part of this massive organization with huge uh you know national nationally syndicated marketing campaigns but so what you're saying is is even when you have your local branches your like local franchises that you have you're responsible for SEO and, and, and social media marketing and all that. So you still have to go out there and, and go and market your own 
uh, branches. Absolutely, we do. And like you said, calling it a branch, it's not necessarily a franchise, but very similar mm -hmm. to that. So, yeah. you know, we, we drive the business to our doors and, you know, we drive the phone to ring and, you know, there's thousands, I mean, right at 20,000 State Farm agents um, in the United States now. And oh, so we've yeah. got to do something to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. And uh, often, often in many markets, our number one competition is fellow State Farm agents. And so hmm. um, what, what makes us different and what can we do to um, differentiate ourselves from the competition? Yeah. So I guess in, uh, to start prepping for our discussion today, um, tell if you, if you wouldn't mind, let's start, let's frame the conversation through two ways. One, uh, you know, exactly what it is that you do at State Farm. And then two, um, maybe just a little bit about your family, you know, and some of how you think about planning and estate planning and, and how you fit in there with life insurance. Sure. You know, as far as State Farm goes, um, we're the largest insurer of automobiles and homes uh, in the United States. And so that's typically the way I would start that conversation is we're mainly a property and casualty insurer. And I've got to be careful to say mainly because we do write a, a lot of life insurance. We write a lot of health insurance, different types of um, health insurance, disability, hospital income, you know, different types of products like that, because that marketplace has changed so much in the last decade or so. Um, but primarily an auto insurer, um, homeowners insurance, life insurance, health insurance. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other stuff we do that we've partnered with U.S. Bank and with some other partners that we've done um, different types of products as well. But people here, State Farm, they think of Jacob from State Farm and they think of automobile insurance and homeowners insurance. That's, true. <laughs> that's, that's the majority of what we do. But there's so much more that goes into a plan and a person's you know, personal plan than just their autos and, and homeowners as well. Sure. And, yeah, uh, and you, you have a beautiful family. So I'm, I, I hope that this has been a, on, on your mind. It certainly has, buddy. It really has. And the more, you know, the more you get educated in insurance or the more you start to delve into it and you see how complicated it can be, you understand the importance of it, especially if you have dependents. Um, I've got, you know, five little ones, daughters that are all, you know, 17 and under. And if something were to happen to me, um, the primary breadwinner or really the only breadwinner in our house right now, life insurance would play a vital role in their future and my wife's yeah. future. But, Oh, certainly. So let me give you my little background on this. I, I want to just, and I put this on social media too, but I have no financial incentive uh, for, you know, talking about this subject. I don't have any investments in any estate planning, life insurance businesses. This is purely because it's something that I've become well-educated in. I'm passionate about it. I have a lot of employees and people that ask me these questions on a consistent basis. Um, friends at Mixology Clothing Company, my clothing business. Last year, we did a personal finance week where we dug into some of these topics. And this is one that comes up more and more. And one of the things I find so interesting about estate planning is that most people say, well, I don't have an estate. You know, I'm not some rich, rich guy. And what, what I think it's important to understand is that um, if you have any kind of family, whether it's even just siblings or parents, God forbid you go, your estate is just what you leave behind, you know? And so everybody has, has this, is a, this is an important discussion for anybody to have. And I so rarely, rarely, rarely hear people talking about it. And in my own life, I've seen billion, literally literal billionaires that I'm connected to, 
um, incredibly successful people, incredibly rich people, not update their will in five years, six years. And it causes a massive, massive, massive headache for their family when they when they go. On the flip side of that, I've also seen people die suddenly, you know, in accidents, you know, all kinds of accidents, boating accidents, car accidents. Um, they just fall down dead. And almost exclusively, I hear really, really challenging times for their family after that and where they didn't leave their family set up in a right way where they can't access bank accounts. They don't know what the password is. They, and it takes months or even years sometimes to unwind this, especially if you are not um, organized. And what I found is it's, it's really not that difficult to, to get organized, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're thinking about it. It's just that people do not want to think about their death. And then through my own study of uh, stoicism, you know, this concept they have of amor fate, of, of loving your fate. And then also my long practice in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and learning from my sensei, uh, Nardu Debra, a, a little bit about how the samurai approach death of that when they would go to battle, they would leave their funeral clothes laid out for them so that if they died, they wouldn't burden their family at all. And that resonated with me a lot. Now, I have uh, two children, two boys, Axel and, and Mac, four and almost two. And I'm very proud to say that long before they were born, I started these planning. I started discussions. Even before I met my wife, I started buying life insurance. I would buy as much whole life insurance and as much term as they would sell me from my early 20s. Now, I'm a very rare, you know, I'm unique, but I would often tell people that they're like, I don't have enough money. I don't, you know, they don't see the need, but there is benefits. So I'm looking forward to, to discussing some of that with you today. And then the last thing I wanted to say before we kind of kicked off the flow of our discussion is that um, this is very empowering. You know, once you kind of take these steps and set it up, Personally, I felt like I feel this wave of um, like almost like gratitude and happiness to know that my boys and my wife are going to be taken care of. God forbid the worst happens. And sometimes I talk to my friends about this and they think that I'm crazy. They're like, you're 38, you know, 37, almost 38 years old. Why are you thinking about this? And it's it's unfortunately because I've seen too many people close to me you know, go through it for the negative. So is that, is that something you're experiencing with your clients too? I mean, how often uh, do you have these conversations? Well, Jordan, it's unfortunately, I've seen it way too much. Um, I've, since I've been an agent with State Farm over 20 years, I've paid out about 150, probably a few over 150 death claims for life insurance. And so, while that is a lot, unfortunately, there's been a lot of them that I've had to look at somebody in the face and tell them that, no, they did not have life insurance. Um, look at the beneficiary and tell them that, you know, their mother, their father, their, their, their spouse did not have life insurance. That's a tough conversation to have. And then, you know, what you said you ran into is something that, that many people um, believe where, you know, your friends will say, well, you know, you're 38. Why do you need to worry about that now? Or, or you're young, you're healthy. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah. I've got a crazy um, uh, statistic for you here. Three of my roommates that I went to the Citadel with have all passed away. Wow. And they passed away 
in um, accidents or untimely death. This was not like a diagnosed uh, illness or cancer or terminal illness. Um, they all died. They all died in their 30s and 40s, and they all died unexpectedly, and they all were not prepared, and they all had children. And you know, you think you're invincible. You think that you're going to last forever, and no matter what you do, and you stay healthy. And I mean, some of these guys were former, you know, college athletes. Um, but you never know. And, you know, typically once you get a diagnosis or once something happens to you where, you know, um, it can cause your insur insurability to be at risk, then you either can't get a policy anymore when you really need it or it's out of this world expensive. And, you you know, you did something that's so wise, Jordan, is you bought as much as you could buy when you were as young as you were and as healthy as you were. And even being in the industry as long as I have, if I could go back, I would buy more. And I've got a ton <laughs> and I would buy more when I was younger, when I was even healthier and when it was even less expensive. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, but the, the earlier you buy it, the, the less expensive it is and the more that you can set yourself up for. But uh, I, I just shared my screen here. And what I've done is I created a very, very simple document that I'm going to make available on my website for anybody who wants this. There's no catches. There's no links. There's nothing to buy. This is just the way that I think about it and some of the things that I've done. And I encourage anybody who's interested, you can you can reach out to me and I'll leave all of Brian's information if you want to connect with him too. But I wanted to just talk about a few basic things here. And that's, so I told you everybody has an estate because everybody's going to die. I hate to break that to you. If this is a depressing subject. Don't let it depress you. It's not a big deal. It's actually empowering. Um, before I went and hired a, a trust and estate attorney, someone who specializes in this, I just went on lawdepot.com and I typed up a very, very basic will for myself with instructions. And I circulated that to my trustees. Those are the people who, um, if I go, I assigned, which were my father and my brother. And I also shared it with my accountant and my attorney. And in my case, I have a CFO. So I shared it with my CFO too. And I had just typed up an extremely basic and fundamental will that designated the who, the what, the how. It didn't take more than 15 minutes. And when my children were born and my business affairs became more complicated, I, then I went out and hired an attorney and we redid and redrafted all those documents. But having a will in place is so, it, it is just a little bit of armor that you can wrap around your family, uh, wrap around your children, wrap around your wife, wrap around your, if you live, outlive your parents, that will make it so much easier for them to unwind your affairs. And in my case, what I did was I left one page of instructions on some wishes and the location of important information. Now, in my case, I run primarily three businesses, but I have a lot other business affairs on top of that. I run Mixology Clothing Company and I run Chart Organization and I run a company called Agile Retail Company, which is a software business upon all of my other investing. And I just left the most important high level documents and passwords. And before I created a lot of process around my businesses, I, I, that was a really important document. Now I have more people, but what I do is I try to get everything out of my head. Now, as far as passwords go, I use LastPass, which is like a password manager and organizer. And they have a really great function that if you go, if you die, you can designate people. I designated my wife, my brother, and my CFO. 
that they can alert LastPass. It'll send me a notification. And if I don't respond within 30 days, they'll get access to all of my passwords. So they'll be able to get into my bank accounts, my emails, uh, my servers, all the things that I have the password to. So you don't have to let them have it now. It's a really great fail safe and it'll let them know how much easier it is. And so, listen, I'll tell you straight up, this was not easy for my wife to talk about when I first started telling her about it. Um, now we've been together seven going on eight years and I talk about it all the time. And now she's, it's, com it's comfortable for her to talk about. But when I first started having these conversations, she would just turn absolutely white as a ghost. And so I always say, if we don't plan, plan to fail, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. Um, and then even before now, just talking about life insurance, like, like I mentioned, I started buying it, but there's, there's two general types, types of life insurance. I think it's important for everybody to understand there's whole life insurance and term life insurance. So Brian, do you want to just like give a very high level on what the difference between whole and term is? Certainly. If, if you were to break it down and even go more general than that, you'd break it down in permanent life insurance and then term life insurance. And there's a couple different types of permanent life insurance. Uh, for example, universal life insurance, whole life insurance, and some other policies as well. And then term term insurance also. But the permanent policies are basically once you qualify, now there's always caveats, but once you qualify for that policy, that policy can stay in force for the rest of your life, for the rest of your existence. And typically, depending on the type of policy, that premium should not increase or may not increase on a permanent policy. So if I got a $100,000 whole life policy at age 20, at age 80, it should be the same price. At age 100, at 100 it should be the same price. And permanent policies typically also will uh, increase in cash value. So they have a cash account or some type of a fixed account or an investment account inside of there where you build up cash value in the policy. And not all of them are the same. Some of them have flexible premiums where you can change the premium or determine the premium based on how much cash is in the policy and how much is accumulated. But on the contrary to that, a term policy is much different. Uh, term policy is typically significantly cheaper than a permanent or a whole life policy, but it's only for a specific term of your life, say a 10-year term or a 20-year term or a 30-year term. And so those policies are, are based on your age when the policy is issued. Uh, they're significantly less expensive than a permanent policy. Um, typically, they're, they're, you know, people that are buying them are buying them to cover up of temporary expense or a temporary debt, like covering your mortgage or covering a car payment or covering some type of large business debt or something like that. Whereas a permanent policy typically gives you a lot more flexibility and, and can be there for many different um, uses later on in life. Yeah. Tell me if I'm right on this, but I always understood it as a whole policy is kind of like an asset that you own and term is kind of like renting. And so what that means is, is like when you're um, making payments towards your whole policy that you're, you're investing in yourself. It's cash in the bank. Like you mentioned, the cash account builds and builds and builds. You can even tap into it if you had an emergency versus term is kind of like disaster insurance. It's like renting a policy. Whereas you said it could be a 10 year policy, a 20 or 30 year policy. And it's the, the, the sole purpose of it is what I think most people associate with life insurance. If I die, my beneficiaries, my family gets money versus a whole life policy, which is more of an asset that you can even use in your own life. Am I, am I describing that well? 
Yes, very well. Uh, yeah. Definitely. You know, the the whole life policy, the permanent policies, the uni- your universal life policies, they give you a lot more options down the road than the term policy does. Typically, the term policy is issued at a certain rate. It's that rate for that specific term, whether that be 10, 20, 30 years. And then after that, you either have to requalify and the rate goes up, you know, or you let it go. Uh, whereas a permanent policy, if you don't die, there's still a lot of options that are there. Uh, especially if you've got one that has built significant cash value as well. Yeah. I'll just take a little, a little break on this and say, and I, I wonder if you hear this too. People always say like, why don't they teach this stuff in schools? This is what I should be learning in school. You know, they always say like personal finance, but the simple fact is, is that when it comes to these topics, most people, I mean, even today, as we talk about it, like they, it's like, oh my God, this is so stressful. This is so scary. You know, I can't, I don't want to think about my death. And I just want to stress how empowering this could be. You know, these are simple, simple things that when you go out of your way to go figure it out, um, you're going to, you're going to be protecting your family, protecting your children. It's so uh, rewarding in so many ways. And, you know, when that, money gets debited out of my account. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes think about what I could else I could be doing with that money. But guess what? Then I think about my kids and I'm like, I want them protected, you know, if the worst was to happen. And so there's just a lot of um, there's there's a lot of benefits and a lot of strategy could you could use around life insurance, especially on the whole. But in terms of it just being an investment versus protection, you should have at least at least, at least, at least term if you have children. I just want to drive that home. Like a special point. If you have children and you do not have at least a term life policy, you're leaving your family at severe risk. If you do not have a will, you are leaving your family at severe risk. So just those two things. If you pick up nothing else off this discussion today, please, please, please go talk to an attorney or go to Law Depot or, or uh, Legal Zoom and set up a very basic will. And then go out, talk to someone, talk to Brian, call Brian today or talk to anybody, you know, in your local market. If you're not close to Brian or you have a family member and just at the very bare minimum, learn about permanent life insurance and term and go out and at least buy some term. Even if you can't afford it, you absolutely can afford it. There is a policy for everybody on that. Um, well, Brad Jordan, I, I've never met. And this is the honest God truth is that the insurance salesman come out of me. But it's just true. I've never met someone that did not have a need for a will. And I never met anybody that did not have the need for some type of life insurance. It's just that's just the case. It always it always applies whether you have dependents or not. Uh, You know, yeah, there's there's always a specific need. That's that's why it's like there's a stigma around life insurance sales in general. But the simple fact is, if you're going to start a business, you would it's impossible. You do not start a business without business insurance. If you're going to get a car, you don't get a car without car insurance. You, It's not wise to walk around without life insurance. Now, nobody is coming to you and saying you have to buy um, – or sorry, that was health insurance. No one is coming to you and saying, oh, you have to buy life insurance. You know, you have to kind of like be on your own volition. And if you go and you sit down with a wealth advisor – but I will tell you that the wealthiest people in the world have teams of people working on their – portfolios of businesses, working on setting them up the right way, making it tax efficient. There's just so many reasons to do these things. But the one thing that I see across the board, and I promise you that it has nothing to do with how much wealth you have, 
is keeping these things updated with the right intentions because I've seen guys, like I said, billionaires, and now what's happening with their family, the family is at war, you know, at war, the children, the cousins, the uncles, the third cousin you never heard of, they come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden everybody is at war. So it is your responsibility as a samurai, as a jujitsu athlete to set this up the right way. And like I said, if you're listening to this and you say, oh, I don't have anything. I'm not, that doesn't ca categorize me. Well, it's, it is such a good part of your portfolio to add in whole term. And if you're 24, 25 years old, like I was, it is so much cheaper. It is so much less expensive to go out there and buy a couple, if it's 500,000, a million, I think in my case, a couple million dollars, I was able to buy it 24 years old. And it was a fraction of the price if I had to go out and buy it at 37 years old now. So just a little bit. Um, and then, you know, just like a little bit conversation. I know that you're not a, a, a financial advisor, but just as a father, you know, this, this isn't an official conversation. We're just two jujitsu guys, two jujitsu business guys talking, you yeah. know, this is just a part of the wheel of financial planning. This is just a part of the wheel of your stock portfolio of your investing portfolio of your real estate getting set up bank accounts but this part of it is just so it's just not spoken about as much um and i like to kind of bring some sunlight into those topics because like i said it's things that things that i really care about so so what what are some of the things that you do to prepare your family not it doesn't necessarily have to be on the life insurance front but just you know sure. the financial planning side well, speaking, you know, specifically, I, you, you mentioned the will earlier, you know, in the estate planning. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I just want to bang that drum about a will. One, make sure that you've got all the beneficiaries set up on all your different types of policies, investment accounts, whatever it is. If you're allowed to have a beneficiary attached to that account, set up your beneficiary. Set up your primary beneficiary who that property or that investment account or that money goes to if something were to happen to you. And then a secondary beneficiary, if something has happened to your primary beneficiary, that way it keeps that asset or it keeps whatever it is from going through probate. It doesn't have to go through that will and it speeds up the process, you know, dramatically. Um, if I wanted everything to go to, to my wife and I need to make sure that she's the primary beneficiary on everything I own, that is something that all of us can do that can really help the process if something were to happen to you. And then, of course, just what you said, Jordan, that everybody needs a will, even if it's just a very basic will uh, that you get online and, you know, have it notarized, whatever. I do recommend going to an attorney and have it done properly and filed properly. But definitely something and, and you know, in place from a will standpoint, um, you know, immediately. And, you know, you mentioned about, you know, being a dad, just being a dad. I, I have a policy, multiple policies on all of my children, life insurance policy. I don't buy them for the death benefit to get some type of financial reward if something were, God forbid, to happen to one of my daughters. The main reason I bought them is because, one, they were at, I bought them all the week they were born. Every single one of them I bought multiple policies on. And one of the main reasons was that was the cheapest it will ever be. And I'll be able to pass those policies to my daughters one day, and they'll have a significant amount of cash value in them. Most likely, they won't even have to put another dollar in premium with it. And if something has changed with their health where they can't, they've, you know, their insurability is at risk or they might not be in a financial situation to be able to afford a very large policy, uh, they've got it and it's already in place. And all they have to do is just take care of it. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to buy it for pennies on the dollar versus when they're an adult, 
Um, it's just, you know, you can't beat that. And then as far as a father that has, you know, minor children that has a wife that, that would depend on my income. If, if something were to God forbid happen to me, I can just sleep so much better knowing that they would be well taken care of if something was to happen to me. I remember several years ago, I was dry. I drive a ton on the highway and I was driving up and down I-95 and I'd see multiple accidents every week, just, you know, with the amount of traffic and how crazy that interstate is. And I almost got in one and I swerved and I was running, you know, 75 miles an hour at the time and was just blessed that nothing happened to me. I went to the office that day and purchased another million dollars in life insurance. Hmm. And the reason I did it wasn't necessarily because I didn't have enough, but I just thought that could have been it right there. That moment could have been it. And there was five little girls at home with their mom and what are they going to do? You know? And so I immediately did it and I felt so much better after I did that. Um, and I think that that sense of responsibility as a father, as a mother, as a parent, um, as someone who's financially responsible, responsible for people, um, that can really weigh on you. You know, I've, I've seen the situation where someone gets diagnosed with a terminal illness and they come to me and they say, Brian, I really want to get life insurance. I've got two or three kids or four kids or a business that I want to pass on to my, my daughter or my son or whatever it may be because there's so many uses for the life insurance and then they cannot qualify for it anymore. And it really limits them on what they're able to do. And it takes away, you know, a lot of, for lack of a better word, joy or, 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 you know, contentment that they would have in their final years because they're constantly burdened on what they're leaving behind or what they're not leaving behind. I want to now beat the drum on that a little bit because you took the ball and, and now I'm going to run with it for a second. You never want to go to an institution, whether it's a bank or a life insurance company or another business when you have to. The best time to borrow money is when you don't need it. The best time to write a life insurance policy or get health insurance is when you're healthy. And so the earlier that you can plan and think about these things, uh, the better. In my business, the first eight or nine years that Mixology Clothing Company especially was in business, we were basically unfinanceable, you know, in, in the eyes of a bank. We were a small uh, retail fashion business. Um, retail fashion businesses historically do not have the best credit worthiness in the eyes of local banks because they're going in and out of business a lot. There's not a lot of barriers to entry. And so you need a bit of a track record and lending history. And it was so difficult, so, 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 so difficult for me to even get my first hundred thousand dollar line of credit. Now that's was about uh, six or seven years ago since that point. Now I have phenomenal banking relationships with people, with my bankers, um, especially on the heels of COVID, but it was incremental building, you know, incremental building. I took one loan, then I paid that back. Then I got my second line of credit, then term loans. And so I kept building and building and building. But the point was, is that my business was, was never unhealthy. It was never in the point where I needed lending. When any time I needed to borrow money, that's when the money's not there. Sorry, your books and records need improving. And so early on in the life of the business, I had to build the business in such a way that it was like a solid brick house, a solid foundation that was financeable. And I had to learn about all these principles. I had to learn about the principles of accounting, learn about the principles of finance. And so that is just another thing that if we want to drive home to people, if you are healthy today, if you have children today and you're not thinking about it, 
Now's the time to think about it before shit hits the fan. And so I, I have a whole stack of books here that I've read over the years that I'd recommend to people, but I think this is probably the best one. And it just says it's in case you get hit by a bus <laughs> and um, it's by Abby Schneiderman and Adam uh, Cypher, I believe his name. And it's just a really, really simple book um, with checklists on how to get prepared on all the things you may or may not think about. Um, you know, like a great checklist for all the things going on in your home. Maybe whether you're the husband or you're the wife, maybe you take care of everything in your home and the landscaping bill and the heating bill and the gas bill. You know, in my house, I have, I have a gas bill. I have an electric bill and I even have a, uh, um, a natural gas, like for cooking, you know, cooking gas. So there's three different utilities. And so if my wife who doesn't pay the bills very often, I actually have all the bills come to the office. I have my bookkeeper take care of everything. If I didn't have detailed instructions, imagine she didn't pay a bill for three or four months in a row after I left. And now they're turning off the service. And it's just, you can avoid so many headaches by being prepared. And it does not take a lot of time to kind of go through and document the processes in your life. And so a book like this will help. There's some other ones that aren't nearly as uh, entertaining, but I had this other one, Get It Together. Uh, which is more of a, like a textbook, but like really, really simple. This one was cute. It said, uh, I'm dead. Now what? <laughs> um, and then what to do when I die. And, and all these are available on Amazon. And again, you know, you don't, some people don't think about these things, but, and, and I got to, have to give a, a shout out to my grandmother, grandma Norma, who passed um, back in 2015 my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer and was given just a few months to live. Wow. And she ended up living another almost five years after that, four and a half years, very, very sick. She was in her, her 80s at that time. But she would, we would talk about death a lot, you know, in those years. And she was so fearless, at least to me. And she used to say, I don't want you to feel bad for me. I had the most wonderful life. I had the most wonderful life. And she was like, she would tell me about her instructions and things that were important to her. She would tell me, I'm the oldest grandchild on both sides. And she would tell me things, feelings that she had about her grandchildren and, and wishes of hers. And so having those conversations, I definitely think, and I must've been about around in my early twenties at that time, mid twenties. So yeah. just um, really, really, oh, I was actually uh, 30 that I was turning 30. So that those years, it was my late twenties that I was having those conversations. And because of those conversations, it just made me so much more comfortable dealing with and talking about death. It wasn't a taboo subject. Yeah, I agree. I've got an email that I, that I update every year. I've got a reminder that pops up on Outlook and reminds me to update it. And it's funny because Jordan, our conversation prepping for this conversation, conversation actually reminded me to update the email and I updated it this morning, but I send it to my wife every year and I update the details, you know, the, the, you know, are there any changes in her life insurance? Are there any changes in financial situation that she needs to know about? And she files that away and she keeps it. And God forbid, if something happens to me, she can refer back to that email with all of those details and even specific wishes like, you know, hey, I, I want you to, to use this money for this, for, for the girls in the future and write a note from me saying this about this specific item and just, you know, things like that, that that would mean a lot to me if, um, if I wasn't here. And of course, that would mean a lot to the girls as well. But, you know, you cannot be too detailed. 
Uh, you really can't, but you don't have to go in depth or you don't have to go miles. You don't have to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on a will and you don't have to do crazy stuff to just get a basic plan in effect to where you could solve 99% of the problems that your beneficiaries would run into if you did not you know, have a plan. Yeah, well, that's perfectly said. And, and you know, the one page document that I was just sharing, I'm going to make that available. Uh, last week, I had a fantastic discussion with Tim Hennessy on the podcast, one page business plan on how to launch a podcast. And it usually doesn't take much, much, much more than one page and a couple of bullet points to shortcut people on the right direction to go in and, and where you should be thinking. And so uh, just a few tips and tricks are so powerful. You you just dropped one there. It's a gem. I, I wonder if you have any others that you could share, uh, which is just a reminder to update things each year. I'll give one that I do. Um, every year on my birthday, I that's when I schedule all my appointments. So I just make sure that I have my primary care physician. I update all of my, my wills and my documents. So every year as my birthday approaches, I know I have to take care of all those things. And so it's just my little marker. I'm also born in June, so it's halfway through the year. And I know, okay, that's usually when I'm booking that extra dentist appointment. That's when I'm, I'm kind of like checking in with myself on all the things that I have to do uh, important around that subject. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. Set up some type of system to remind you to do it, to stay on top of it, you know. And you mentioned, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, Jordan, you know, and you know it definitely with, with how much you've dealt in business and what you've done as an entrepreneur, and, and I've run into it as well. You know, entrepreneurship is the buzzword right now, and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, and they want to own their own business. And, and you know, if you go and you want to borrow uh, money to buy a house, then the bank is going to look at the value of the house and they're not going to lend you much more if, you know, even the amount that the home is worth. Well, if you as an entrepreneur go and you try to borrow money, though, and you don't have some type of asset to back it, whether it be a home or a car or whatever it is, you know, you're a huge risk to the bank. You're a huge risk to the financial institution. And that bank's going to say, well, what happens if you die? And you're going to have to have life insurance and you're probably going to have to have a significant amount of life insurance. And so no better time than to get it when you're young, when you're first starting to plan. And if you're even looking into being an entrepreneur, you're looking into going into business for yourself. Life insurance is one of the first things you really need to look at, not only for your beneficiary, but just to be able to, to have the business, to be able to get the financing and the leverage that you need to be able to start a business. Absolutely. Uh, it is a critical part of growing a business. It's also a critical part of planning the business. God forbid something happens. You know, my business partners are in many cases, my family members, you know, my, my father, my sister, and we have separate life insurance policies that cover our portion of the business. God forbid I pass or my sister passes. In addition to my, my life insurance that goes directly to my family and my children, um, we also have separate policies that would compensate to buy out the shares of the business. You know, when you have a family business or a small business, there might not be enough cash in the business to have. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm gone. Is my wife, who is a surgeon, is she supposed to step in and now uh, become an operating member of that business as a shareholder? Um, the answer is no. And so really, and this is kind of like the, this would be the next class, how to set up a business properly. Uh, then this is this is just an introduction, a call to action for everybody to say that they should do it. But um, you know, the next step, if anybody's interested on how to set set up buy sell agreements with their business and their partners, this is so important. It's such an important topic. I actually have a a whole right behind my uh, my desk over here. 
you can see that I have these different uh, boulder stacks. One of them that I have here with my other set of books is uh, my corporate governance folder. And in this one, I have all the books that I've read on, um, you know, here's the family, family business handbook, um, the secret to selling your business, how to make a business sellable. Mm -hmm. And here's one on um, getting along in a family business. And so part of corporate governance in a family business is setting it up the right way for the future generations right from the beginning. You know, you wouldn't build a house without a solid foundation. You wouldn't build a house, you know, or you shouldn't build a house, I should say, uh, without thinking ahead of the future of where you're going. You know, if I was to build a house today, I would be thinking about conduit for all the different types of high-tech wiring I wanted there to be and fiber optic cabling. I'd be wiring the whole house for Wi-Fi and making sure that this, the building systems and the plumbing systems are all set up. Um, and so that's the way that you want to think about uh, setting up your business for success too, uh, in in terms of all the corporate governance that comes in. And so it's just can't be overstated how important this is. And everybody knows the statistic. I say it all the time on this podcast. 95% of new businesses go out of business in the first five years. Another 95% of the ones that survive go out of business within the first 10 years. There's an incredibly low attrition rate on business formation. And part of the reason is because not enough people have these conversations. Like these important conversations are really what goes on behind the scenes. It's not the most exciting. It's not the sexiest thing, but this is kind of like the lubricant in an engine. You know, you build a really fancy engine, but you need the lubricant. And these are the conversations that lubricate the engine. So really grateful to uh, have you as a friend of the podcast, Brian. Uh, we didn't dig into all of your accomplishments today. You'd have to go back to the first podcast and, and go listen. But it's uh, I love the, your voice and I love your uh, your expertise that you lend. And I wanted to uh, share your website here, making sure I'm on the right one. Can you see my screen? Yes, sir. So this is BrianEdwardsAgency.net. And you can reach Brian if you're interested in learning more about um, all kinds of insurance. Uh, Brian's located in South Carolina. Do you cover the whole country? How, how does uh, insurance coverage work? You know, it's governed by the state. So oh, okay. there are some agencies that do go across state lines, but I, I do only write insurance in the state of South Carolina. All right. Well, um, if you have any questions, I'm sure Brian would be happy to hear from you, especially if you're in South Carolina. And as always, please reach out to me if you have any questions on the subject of estate planning or financial planning or, or, you know, how to set up a business. It's not legal advice. It's just fatherly advice, you know, a couple, two dads sitting around over here and speaking of two dads, I'll share uh, Brian's uh, Instagram where you can find him. This is, uh, Oh, I navigated away, but it is jujitsu dad at jujitsu dad. Yeah, look, look for all the blonde, blonde little girls. And <laughs> all Brian's daughters over here. It's just a beautiful family. It's uh, oh, so, so nice to see, you know, great family values. You see so much. You don't even want to go down the path of what what's going on in the world right now. But, you know, that's not everybody's experience. And uh, Brian's a two-time IBJJF Masters World Champion, three times IBJJF Masters Pan Am Champion, five-time Girl Dad. <laughs> and, uh, what's this Toro BJJ 
Toru BJJ is a, a gi manufacturer. Well, I shouldn't just say gi. They, they manufacture all MMA, jiu-jitsu, grappling products uh, out of North Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, phenomenal. They, I'm a sponsored athlete with Toru. Um, they've handled our, they've handled all the products and our gear for, for Swamp Fox and still are handling it even after I've sold it. Um, and just real happy to have been partnering with them and hope to continue to partner with them in the future. Awesome. Well, shout out Toro. Uh, happy to promote you on the Business Jiu-Jitsu podcast. And Brian, always a pleasure catching up with you again. I hope you will uh, be a regular contributor and come back on and keep us updated on all your business dealings. And, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Jordan. Man, you've got the coolest, most unique podcast that I've ever been a part of. I love following it. I love staying on top of it. And every time I click in and I listen, I learn something new every single time. So keep doing it. You're really helping. Thank you you so much. Thank you for saying that. I love doing it. It is an absolute passion. And it really helped bring my whole life into focus when I brought my jujitsu into the rest of my business world. You know, and I said, it's not just something I did. It was just a part of who I am. And, um, and I think my business has benefited from it as well. Yeah. I don't believe there's any other activity in the world that, that makes you a better person, a better business owner, a better husband, a better father. I mean, you name it than jujitsu. And I know that sounds cliche coming from you guys that love it and train it, but, uh, anybody that's stuck with it for a while, I've never heard anybody disagree with that statement. Yeah. Well, this is a very niche podcast. So most of the people that listen to this podcast are going to know exactly what you're talking about there. I have a few friends and family that still think like, what's that karate thing that you do? They don't even know the difference, but uh, they, we, I do have a a lot of friends. It's interesting because I, when I started this thing, I had no friends that followed it at all. And now I have a couple hundred friends that have been like, Oh, you doing it. And so they pay attention to it. And every once in a while, like, Oh, I listened to that podcast. It's really interesting. And I was like, I didn't even think you could spend 10 minutes listening to a jujitsu conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, it just makes you want to be a better person. It makes you want to share this knowledge with people. You know, it's just like being on the mat and, and helping somebody. I was helping a, a white belt the other day and spent significant time with him, just hanging out with him afterwards. And, you know, I, people did that for me and people helped me in my business and people helped me with my planning and people helped me with jujitsu. And and when you've had success with that and you've run into to people in your life that have done that for you, the least we can do is return that favor and keep it keep it going. Beautiful and perfectly said. And thank you for saying it. Brian Edwards, you're a great guy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And I will see you again very soon. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate you, buddy.